This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 615. And the quote of the day is, discipline is for professionals, while motivation is for amateurs. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 615, and I got a special episode with Mr. Tal Bergman, and Tal is someone who admittedly was not on my radar. I was listening to Pandora, and this song came on called Octopussy, and I was like, whoa, what? I I was just blown away by, by the music. Started doing some research, found out that it's a band with Joe Bonamassa and also has this drummer, Tal Bergman, on it. Then I did some more research and realized that Tal has played with Joe's Iwanaw and Billy Idol and Shaka Khan and B.B. King, Roger Daltrey, Tribe Called Quest, MC Light, De La Soul, LL Cool J. The list goes on and on and on. And I said, I got to get him on the podcast. Shot him an email and graciously he said yes. And now we got an episode with him. So this conversation is, is pretty wide ranging. We talk a lot about his early influences, his desire to learn a bunch of different styles, and then also how he started getting work for different types of gigs. Because as he says in this episode, he doesn't look like a jazz drummer. He's like, I look like a rock drummer, but I play everything. I play funk and I play soul and I play disco and I play jazz. So we talk about how he got different gigs and different genres and a lot of great information in here from someone who has been there, done that, played on tons of records and done world tours and things like that. So no shortage of information on this one. And we're not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Mr. Tal Bergman. What's happening, man? Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thank you. I, you and I, well, first of all, I feel like I should, I should talk about how I found out about you and rock, uh, rock, I keep forgetting how to say it, rock. Candy Funk candy Party. Funk Party. And I was listening to, I was listening to Pandora. It pops up. It was Octopus E. I want to make sure that I'm, I want to say that right. Octopus E. Uh, and it came on and all of a sudden I was like, because I'm, I'm, normally when I listen to Pandora, I'm like, oh, I've heard this song before. I've heard this song before. This came on. I said, who the hell is this? And I was just blown away, did some research, had been listening to it ever since, found you, was like, we got to get you on the podcast, and here we are. So, man, thank you so much for, for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So the interesting thing is a lot of the times I like to understand, you know, what people, not only what their backstories are, but what their influences are and, and you know, things that they were listening to when they were growing up. And by chance, I just mentioned Near Z. And you two are from the same hometown? Yep. We are from a place called Rishon Litzion in a, like probably 12-minute drive south of Tel Aviv in Israel. 
So did you guys know each other growing up? We did, even though he's younger than me. So he's like a generation, I think, after me. And I've been in the States since uh, it's like 82. Okay. So uh, when he did all his stuff in Israel, I think I was already in New York. Gotcha. But yeah, but we know each other for years regardless. Because he had a pretty successful career in Jerusalem before he came over, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He did a lot of stuff in Israel. So how about you before you before you I, came over? I can't complain. I did great. Yep. And, uh, you know, and then before it would get too late, I said, I got to move on and, and do better things and play with better people. Not that in Israel, there are great players. Mm-hmm. But it was a, it's very small. And so I, I always wanted you know, to play with musicians better than me. Right. Because it makes me play better. Yeah. And uh, and I like the competition. Mm-hmm. Like, and in, and in the States, I always felt that it's, you know, the best musicians in the world always come here. Yeah. And, uh, and but I mean, uh, you know, I, I like it because it's, the competition is very healthy. It's mm-hmm. not in a bad way. It's in, yeah. a, in a good way because, you know, it's a, I still grow all the time. I just get better and better. Sure. You know, there is ne- you never stop. And here, you always have to be on your toes. Mm-hmm. You can't sit yeah. and relax and say, oh, I'm a bad motherfucker. No. <laughs> there is always, yeah. you always have to be better than that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think when I was about... 16 years old, 15 years old, I thought I was the greatest drummer in the world. And then I met a couple people and was realized that I was like, oh my God, there's, I was like, okay, I'm, I might even give up playing now. <laughs> it never ends. It never ends. It never ends. The interesting thing that you, what you were saying about in, you know, in Jerusalem where it, like if it's a small area, but the particularly that, that part of the world, every, if you move relatively close to where you're from, you're going to be in a different country that speaks a different language too. So like in the United States, you know, you can go from, from California to New York and everyone speaks English, but there, if you go and from- they have different attitudes. And they have different attitudes for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but but I, I would imagine that that's challenging, even if you wanted to stay in that part of the world. It's like, well, how many languages do you have to learn to go to all of these other countries if you want to if you wanted. I, would say, I would say, first of all, Israel is kind of secluded. You cannot really go different places unless you get on a plane because right. it's surrounded with uh, a lot of places that won't let you get in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Egypt you can go into. But we study English as a second language at school. Mm-hmm. So I would say the majority of the places... You know, I pretty much speaks Hebrew and English. That's yeah. it. And I know to yeah. curse in different languages, but Yeah. <laughs> That's the most important thing, right? Yeah. You gotta yell at somebody on the street or something. It's like I'm not gonna learn how to order food or anything like that. I just need to learn how to curse at people. <laughs> yeah. Especially me being a, a, an East Coast Italian guy. I'm like, I need to learn how to I gotta curse at everyone in every hey. language, right? That's the best. <laughs> East Coast Italian. Can't get better than that. 
So what were you what were you listening to when you were growing up? Like what type of music were you because I know it's I'd be interested to hear because I know what Nier said that he was listening to and the stuff that he was into. Well, when I was a kid, there was really nothing to listen to when I was there. And the stuff that I got was mostly radio, actually, that came like either from Jordan that I could mm-hmm. listen to. And I can tell you that I used to listen to this band once and it was really rocking. And I loved the female singer who was singing. Later, I found out that it was Led Zeppelin. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) She sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the kind of, I mean, I used to have you know, like cassettes that people were making from CDs. Mm-hmm. Not CDs, there were no CDs, from records. Right. What am I talking about? And then uh, that we used to buy kind of bootleg cassettes because right. I had a cassette player, which I think the first cassette that came with my cassette player was a band that was called, uh, uh, was it Head Machine? Machine Head. Machine Head. But, and I thought the band name was Machine Head, but it was actually Deep Purple Machine Head. Ah. We smoke on the water and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had no clue. I mean, I would get stuff that would be like R&B stuff. They would say uh, crazy, uh, was, it, was like, it was, it's written, crazy African music. Mm-hmm. Years later, I can Tina Turner. Right, right, yeah. Then you're. So, it's so funny, like when you when you see bootlegs other in other countries, and they have you know it'll be like the wrong band name or yeah, or, there was no internet or anything. Yeah, so like that. Or as another example was music to tempt to. And I was oh great, I can put it and uh, play it for girls, and I'm they they're gonna like me. Right, and then I turned out it was actually a translation from the it was the temptations. Really? Yeah, nice. stuff like that. But uh, my father, uh, he loved jazz. Mm-hmm. And he was a swing dancer also. So I grew up listening to, like I would say, a lot of like, almost like big band bebop stuff. Uh, like, you know, obviously then I went to like G. Krupa, Buddy Rich, Max Roach, you can name it. Everybody... Mm-hmm. So the beginning of it was that, but then I also studied classical percussion. So right. because when I started studying, my uh, my main teacher was the his name was Alon Bohr, and he was a percussionist for the Israeli Philharmonic. Mm-hmm. And so I studied snare snare drum for many years, you know, and then uh, xylophone and timpani and all that stuff even though I never consider myself as a xylophone player or a timpani player right. because I'm not that good at that. Yeah. But snare, you know, and then I started with another guy, uh, Latin percussion. So mm-hmm. his name was Jerry Garval. Yeah. And uh, so I studied only with few teachers, but I studied a lot and practiced every day. And a lot of my practice was also listening to music and play with it. Mm-hmm. And naturally... You know, I love like bebop, and then it was all a funk, and then obviously fusion, 
and you know and everything in between and you know every style of music i i learned i think in israel because you have to play many styles the way we grew up we had to play many styles mm-hmm. is that you have that a good drummer needs to know to play everything good because yeah. you never know what they're going to throw at you well that's i mean that's kind of how it should be here too that that doesn't it doesn't in, happen, America, but... in the States, a lot of times they love to put people in a frame. Uh, oh, he's yeah. a jazz drummer. He's a funk drummer. He's a rock drummer. You yeah. Know, how come you have long hair and you play jazz? That cannot work out. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, uh, so what do you think about that? Do you think that it's better to learn everything, to be good at everything, or to just go out and say, look, I'm just a straight ahead jazz guy and that's all I do. And, and if you want well, that, call me. And if not, and if you don't it want depends that, what you love to do. Yeah. I mean, when I grew up, I mean, I started doing sessions at a very young age. So I had a lot of experience when I moved to the States. You know, even though I was 20, I already had an experience in the studio. Like, let's say if I would be 40. Mm-hmm. I'm not joking. Right. So, wow. Uh, you how, know, did you, how did you – did you just – do you feel like you just progressed faster than most people? You worked harder than most people? Was it a combination of the two? Well, I think always the best thing is I grew up learning the best thing. First of all, my father, rest in peace, was he was a great teacher because he says two things that still re- reminds me today. He says, first of all, if you have nothing to say, don't play. You know? I love he, that. And then he, is, he says... You know, if you play and you don't make me dance, something is wrong. You're a drummer. You got to make me dance. We could just end the episode right there. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, that's th- those two things, like you said, they still resonate with you today. That's, those two things are extremely powerful and true and should, everyone should be hearing that. Well, I mean, if you're a drummer, you know, you're, you're, to me, the job, first of all, is to play for the good of the music. Mm-hmm. It's so easy, especially this day and age when there is the the YouTube phenomena and uh, and uh, you know different social medias. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people, you know, you put a clip of uh, you know half a minute or a minute of you playing all your chops, in that it's and you gain more notoriety then I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that that's all they do. Right. I, I don't blame them because if this is how you, it's not like they're going to, I cannot say to somebody right now, like a young kid to say, you know, you really need to learn how to, to play in a session because I don't know if he's going to get the session. Right. Right. I mean, it's a change. But they, are, but they are going to have to play music. Right. Yeah, but what's music? It's a, it's a, it's changing too. Yeah. When was last time you listened to the radio and you heard live drums? I don't listen to the radio. Wow. Well, <laughs> you know, but the, I mean, whatever. You no, the only go on because... uh, social media and listen to stuff. I mean, I listen yeah, to know, the reason why I, you know. The reason why I said that too is because I want to hear live drums. That's why I'm like, I don't want to. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. still working a lot. I can't complain, and so there right. is live drums. Yeah, but. I I also I think if you want to stay on, on top of the game, mm-hmm. you always have to be open to everything new. 
like it or you don't like it. Sure. That's personal. There is stuff I don't like, but uh, if I get, uh, you know, I just had to do a whole record where I had to do uh, like trap, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was all programming. There is not live drums there. Yeah. And it's not so easy to program that stuff. You know, especially when everybody's using the sprinkler hi-hats. Yeah. Yeah. It's like on everything. I'm like, okay, we used to do that in the 80s, but it's nothing new. Right. Right. But it's on everything. You hear a ballad, then you hear a 32 note hi-hats going on. I'm like, what the fuck? But hey, I don't argue with success. Yeah, that's a that's a valid point. I you know, I I, I'm curious what you think. Like you said, you know, that happened in the 80s. And every in the 80s, everyone was like, we're screwed. Like, the music industry is going to go down the tubes. There's going to be no more drumming. Everyone's going to play electronic drums. And for a long time, electronic drums dominated the music. And then 90s grunge came and 90s exactly. rock and all that stuff, and it went back. Do you think we're going to go back to pl- people playing live drums again? For sure. I think, yeah. uh, I mean... If you, I'm sure there is a lot of young drummers, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Drums is like the first instrument, I think, after voice or hand clapping. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be the last one. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't need electricity for that. <laughs> and rhythm is everything. So drummers are naturally... Uh, they can venture into a lot of other stuff because they are drummers. Because mm-hmm. naturally playing a drum set, you're already playing a few instruments at the same time, and you orchestrate it, and you do all the counterpoint, and you know space, you know rhythm, you know what to play, what not to play. That's why mm-hmm. also drummers, be- they are good producers because they hear the whole thing. When you play drums, you usually listen to everybody. Yeah. And everybody, you know, it's it's like you're 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 the driver. So uh, I think there is going to be more drums. I mean, I, I I know that even with the the corona, you know, which I had few few tours canceled on me, but then uh, I got more sessions. You know, I did some like I think some big movies, and uh, when they want live drums, you know, yeah, and yep. or or for TV or for records. I mean, I just did few, few records where it's like totally few different styles of music, but they want live drums because like that kind of music, if you programmed it, it's going to sound like a TV track. It's not going right. to, it's not, doesn't have the swing. It doesn't have the energy and, and I can manipulate the drum sounds to be, uh, um, I would say as modern as can be for the kind of music. Right. And there also there is a lot of hybrid where you I suggest always to every drummer to really learn to program, you know, because it also makes you a better drummer. Mm-hmm. Where uh, would you say is a starting point for that to learn how to because I think I think and myself included, because I don't do a lot of electronics where it can seem overwhelming or daunting to even get started of like What's the first thing that I should buy or what should I practice on or practice? First of all, you know, there is no rules programming. There is no rules today. Right. I I think if you, you know, if it sounds good to you, it's going to sound good to somebody else. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the more you do it, the better you become. I mean, I personally, 
do most of my writing, I use Ableton Live. Right. But then everything ends in Pro Tools. So I, I use both platforms. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I program, I will not quantize because I want that feel, even if it's programmed. But I might loop certain st- stuff. Mm-hmm. So, or, or because I used to learn stuff when I used to do a lot of hip-hop stuff is, is like with an MPC, I used to do, use different swings for different parts of the drums. Like the bass drum would swing differently than the hi-hat, you know? And mm-hmm. not everything swings to the same thing. Because also if you play live drums, you see that your different limbs play in a, a little different feel. And that's how you get all this cool stuff, you know, yeah. you know, and it's all in the dynamics. There's a lot to do with that. I mean, I would say, again, it needs to make you dance. You do yeah. that kind of, whatever it is, you know, and sometimes less is more, sometimes more is more. I don't know. Yeah. It's all changing all the time. It's interesting about the point of, of dancing because of what I listen to, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting older and I'm just being like this old crotchety guy, but, and I, like, I grew up listening to hip hop. That's what I grew up listening to. Like my brother listened to it. I listened to it. And then years down the road, I, I would hear like a Steely Dan song and I'm like, Hey, that's a Jay-Z song. And my brother's like, no, that's a Steely Dan song. you know? And, and then I realized that like, I liked all this funk stuff and all that. But, um, but then I felt like you could dance to that music because they were sampling old funk tunes and stuff like that. Now I just, when I listen to it, I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't make me want to get out of my seat and dance. And that's, I think that's my only problem with it. Cause like, like you said, every, you know, music is everyone's taste and everyone, like, I'm not here to judge like what's cool and what's not. I'm like, but when I hear stuff on the radio, I just don't want to dance. Well, a lot of stuff on the radio today if you notice, there is on pop music, at least I noticed, there is not a lot of bass lines. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, it's more about the sound. And, yeah. you know, uh, I always felt also that in different places in the world, they dance in different BPMs. Mm-hmm. You know, like in dance music in, in the States, usually it will be slower tempos, and in Europe, it will be faster. Because in America, mostly you listen to music when you're driving. Yeah. So it's more like, you know, medium tempo or whatever. In yeah. Europe, they're not driving. They're, oops, 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 oops. They're, <laughs> they're, they're dancing. And it's all high-end stuff. And, you know, and it depends. It's, it's like really a global thing. And also taste change. I mean, to me, you put Earth, Wind, and Fire. I will always dance. I mean, that, I listen to these records and it's fucking, it's amazing. Yeah, and the interesting thing is if you go to a wedding and you put on Earth, Wind, and Fire, it doesn't matter if you're 14 or 84, you're dancing. Oh, of course, because I, I know my my kids, they listen to music that I grew up listening to. Yeah. And they love it. Yeah. So, and that's not because of me. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of young, young uh, artists, they're mimicking that style too. Because so it comes around, you know, there is. <laughs> I, that's, I think that's always the telling side of it is like when you look at someone who's, you know, 15, 18, 20, 22, and all, with all the stuff out now that probably all their friends are listening to, if you put on Al Green or if you put on Earth, Wind & Fire or if you put on like any of these old tracks, 
they like they're like man this is so good yeah and it's like, cool. it's it's completely timeless and i just again i don't want to sound like i'm some crotchety old man but i don't know if the music that's coming out now in 20 years people are going to be listening back to it and be like oh man this is just a timeless song you never know we but can we only know. judge from history yeah so most likely there was people they will say Wow, I remember that because it remembers them a time in their life when they were young yeah. and a lot of stuff was happening to them. Yeah. So it's maybe I'm being too judgmental. You're helping me open my mind a little bit that I should be that I should be a little bit more open minded to to what's out there. Well, I mean, I'm 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 talking from a professional uh, point of view as a musician <laughs> to live in this world. Yeah, for sure. It's very easy for us to get stuck with what we love. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, you know, yeah. but I would say if Miles would be alive today, would he play modern music that is happening now and make it jazz? Probably would. He wouldn't play yeah. bebop. Do you think he would put out like a trap record? Why not? Listen, yeah. when he did the, the records that Marcus Miller produced, Yeah, you know, Tutu yeah. and all that stuff, there was a lot of programming there. Yeah. No, but still Miles. You know, it's what you do. It's all about the, you know, you always have to draw from everything and make it your own. And yeah. also another thing that I do with, at least in my drumming, is I I take from many styles and I'm not afraid to use them. Mm -hmm. You know, let's say if I do, I would say pretty much every rock recording that I've done, which I, let's say just, I just now did this record with Adrian Smith and Richie Cutson. They have a mm -hmm. big record out that I play on three tracks that are kind of like more on the hard side. Mm -hmm. I'm playing, I always feel that even if you play rock, it needs to be funky. Yeah. You know Don't what I mean? Mind. Yeah, it, it has to, all those great bands are really funky mm -hmm. because those drummers, they love R&B and they love funk and they come from that. And yeah. if you listen to it, it's in there big time. In mm -hmm. the bass drum patterns, in the swing, in the laid back, in, in you know, all that stuff. So they were fusioning different styles. It's not one style, you know? Right. So yep. it's, it's okay if you do it tastefully to bring other colors to when you are uh, recording or playing live. Mm -hmm. you know? So let me ask you about that. When you when you learn all these different styles and, and you learn blues and you learn rock and you learn jazz and you learn R&B and all this other stuff, you, and how, one, how do, you, how do you suggest that people learn all those styles? I, I think it's just playing along with all those records and really understanding the ins and outs. Um, so that's question one. And then two, how do you really get that to like get into your playing? So you're not like, I'm going to play this jazz thing over this rock. Oh, yeah, really. First of all, as a drummer, it's great to practice and work on the stuff. But the minute you're actually playing, the moment you're thinking, you're already late. Yeah. You can't think. It has to come naturally and that's a language and like when we are talking right now we're not thinking oh what am i going to say mm -hmm. i don't know i can fall on my face and say the wrong thing but, <laughs> right. 
but you know, but that's with music too. The, yeah. the, so I would say the vocabulary is, first of all, if we go to the first one, to learn the styles, I would say listen to all those great records. For me personally, I never tried to learn exactly the licks and the groove and the way they played it and the sticking and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but more the attitude, the attitude and the vibe of the music and everything. Mm-hmm. I think once you you find that, you know, then you, everything anyways, you're going to make it your own, but it's mm-hmm. going to work. Right. Because these drummers, you know, they were not sitting and learning somebody else from YouTube and getting all their stickings right. and all that stuff, which is yeah. great to do. I mean, I, I can't say that I'm not doing it even today because now there is YouTube say, oh, man, that's how we did it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and all these years, I thought it was doing it the other way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you learn. But uh, I would say it's more in the attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you play a certain music, it needs to be loud. Let's say, you know, if I'm on a on a gig like with Billy Idol that they used to do back in the day. It was very tight playing, like, but it had to be really punchy and very, very uh, assertive. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, a, it's a certain attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, if I play a ballad with brushes, you know, it's a different attitude. You know, I can swim more. I, I, I can be, you know, not so macho-y, you know? Yeah. So it's it's more in the vibe that comes out in your playing, mm-hmm. and which is again what serves the music. You have to be part of it, and also driving it. And live concerts are different than recordings; it's all different kind of playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all and it's in dy- dynamically. It's very important. You know, I always say it's very important to even play very soft, but very precise and with the same attitude that if we would play it loud. Right. Which is harder to do. Mm-hmm. But some situations you need to do that. Because yeah. if not, you get fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dynamics. I, like, yeah. I was just talking to, uh, to Carter McLean about that. We were, he was saying, you know, I think, that, I think that dynamics are just things that people just leave out of their playing all the time. And it's, it's like, I play at seven. That's it. I just play there. You know, well, you can't do it because, I mean, if you start here, like at 10, where are you going to go? Yeah. You know, yep. you always want to leave a place for you that if it's time for fucking to kick it, you have yeah. a place to go kick it. If you start right. there, well, you already <laughs> said everything. So that's one thing. It's for your own benefit. Mm-hmm. Another thing is dynamic within a groove, which is something I've been working for. I don't know how many years it's. Besides playing the obvious beat, let's mm-hmm. say, you know, boom, tack, boom, boom, tack. Am I right? Right. There is all these other levels of, uh, of stuff that you can play in different, uh, if it's ghost notes, if, uh, if it's extra notes on the hi-hat or the kick drum that are in a different volume, it creates the groove three-dimensional in a way because yeah. you have more than one layer. Mm-hmm. You know, and that creates it. It gives it more of of a, you know, it grooves it better sometimes. 
Yeah. You know, and and a lot of producers, even if they want just a boom, tack, boom, boom, tack, they won't even notice if you're doing it. It sounds mm-hmm. good. They'll just know it sounds good. So <laughs> there you go. You yeah. Know, it's like you have to know, but it's stuff that comes up. I think experience and always try to play with with great players that and and when I mean great players is people that also are positive to you and not putting mm-hmm. you down. Yeah. You know, because every time I play with some great players, they made me play better because they made me feel really comfortable. Mm-hmm. And when you're comfortable, you're not worried. And when you're not worried, you play better. Yeah. And all these things that you mentioned, you know, dynamics, feel, touch, attitude, uh, you know, overall, just the overall sort of uh, approach to the things you're playing, sonic choices, phrasing. I I think all of those things combined, that's what separates a good drummer from a great drummer. But I also think that those are the hardest things to teach and learn. Right? It's easy to say, here's how to play a paradiddle. Here's how to play this. Here's how to play that. But like teaching, teaching and learning how to like fine tune your playing and really finesse your playing, I think was always the hardest thing for, for me to, to learn as a player. And one of the things was getting with great players that kicked my ass day in and day out. I'm like, look, you just have to get better. Um, but how do you, how are there other things that you recommend for people to, to either develop those, those skill sets? Because I think that's what get, kept, gets you getting the call back. Um, the skills, of, I mean, I would recommend everybody, number one, you, I would say, have to work on your time as a drummer because you're a drummer, you're a timekeeper. So your time has to be impeccable. Mm-hmm. Even if you have to play laid back or whatever, I would recommend everybody to practice with the click track just to be comfortable with it and make sure you can also do it in slow tempos mm-hmm. you know fast tempos are easier than slow tempos to keep the beat yeah. if you have more space and by not thinking about it like you're pretending that the click is another player uh, to be comfortable with it. That's one of the things I would do because that also will give you confidence when you go into studio situations. Mm-hmm. When there is a click and if you don't know how to play with it, you are out the door. I mean, mm-hmm. seriously. I mean, that's number one because it's re- recommended. I would definitely have you practice rudiments as much as possible just so it will be fluent you don't have to think about your sticking when you're playing, mm-hmm. you know, but don't let that take over your playing. Not let's say, oh, I'm doing a lick now and pull it from a draw. This is the lick I'm doing here. This is the lick I'm doing there. And right. I'm going to combine those two and I'm going <laughs> to do a quintuplet here and uh, all this stuff. That's great. But when in reality, you don't have the time to do that. Right. You're thrown into a situation. Whatever you do, is is to really play, I would say, if I sum it up, play for what the music needs. Because it's, especially in the recording, it stays there forever. Yeah. Less is pretty much always a good idea to play mm-hmm. less than more. Usually if I do, if there is a fill, I try to make sure 
that the feel are in the style of the music that I'm playing mm-hmm. and that it's kind of repetitive in a way when it comes back again, you make it into a hook. Mm-hmm. I, can, I, I hate to interrupt you because – but I feel like we have to point this out. What you said, and we went through it pretty quickly, that you're playing a fill that's in the style of the music that you're playing. Uh, how many times – I can't count how many times I've heard someone playing like an old soul tune and then they do this in the middle of it. But do you like, hear those guys on the record? Yeah, ne- they've never played anything like that on a record. And they never played on the record probably. Nobody will hire oh, them. Oh, have I ever heard those guys on a... Oh, no. No. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you do that... How long is you trying to do that in the session? Yeah. Next. <laughs> yeah. If only, I mean, yeah, that's different. But, hey, you know, if you get million seats on YouTube, I'm not condemning, condemning them, you know? And yeah. there is a lot of the church drumming, and some of these guys are fucking amazing. Yeah. And, you know, which is mostly built on like 60 no triplets and, uh, and or whatever different quintuplets and all that stuff. It's stuff mm-hmm. that was done before. I mean, if I go on Billy Cabo, and I mean, I can go from Mike Clark to, I mean, you name it, Dennis Chambers, all these guys were doing a lot of that stuff before without even thinking about it. Yeah. But, and it grooved its ass off too. Yeah, you know, hey, and they're all my uh, idols. So yeah, me too. Uh, but it's it's uh, it's to play what's good. It's let's say if, you know, I've done some records where like kind of like schmaltzy big rock records. So they do want a drum fill that goes almost for two bars, leading mm-hmm. into a thing like like boom, 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 boom. I mean, but it works. Yeah. So when I do those kind of gigs, I don't, I play already. I know what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. They want to hear space. They want you to hear a delivery. They, you know, it's also very important when you come back to the groove, you are just as solid as before. So mm-hmm. I would say breathing is very important. A lot of people, when they do a drum fill, they don't breathe you know, breathing, no oxygen to your brain, you're rushing or slowing or whatever. You yeah. need to continue, nothing, you have to be chill at all times. Like yeah. you have to be relaxed about it. So when you play that, you know, you able, you be able, you should be able to fill space without counting it with one of your limbs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they keep the beat with their legs, even though they play drums. You know, I see yeah, yeah. on the bass drum, they, they keep moving all the hi-hat, even if they're not using it. They're mm-hmm. counting the beat. Yeah. You don't need to be able to do that. You have you to be free. Mm-hmm. So you have to know the time. You have to feel it. You have to know it. And not, you know, you don't have to to rely on one of your limbs to count rhythm. Yeah. Because what if you have to play something totally different? You know, you have to play five <laughs> on top of four. Yeah. How are you going to keep it? What are you going to keep your, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> So I would say for any drummer, you know, think it's good, I would say, today to record yourself while you practice. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy now, too. You just set up, you know, yeah. set up your phone. And listen. And, just... and listen and also maybe in the video so you can also see. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important how you sit 
how you, if you play correctly, so you don't have problems later with your hands and your legs. You know, technique is very important mm -hmm. because, but it's only an instrument to say what you have to say. Right. You know, if you really. How do you, that's always, that's, that was always the hard thing for me. Like, especially when I was a younger player and even now, like when I'm practicing something, but get it, get it. How do you get from the technical to the musical? Because there's a, because you have to make that crossover at some point if you really want to if you really want to perform, it's, right? It's hard to do it on your own mm -hmm. when you play with players. It kinds of happen naturally because you 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 don't have to think about that. If you, as I said, if you're thinking about it, there's something stopping you. It needs to be like like your second uh, nature, mm -hmm. and it's just the more you do it the better you become. You yeah. just have to do it a lot. And it's tough now. I feel it on myself. I have a, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sitting here behind doing sessions with myself. Yeah. So it's I hard. have to pretend. Mm -hmm. So it's another thing that you have to do on top of it. It's like, because the reason music is, is tension and release and a call and an answer. So yeah. when you play with somebody, they say something, you listen, and you answer them. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you are talking together or whatever. And, and, and that's something that I really miss today. Like Me when too. you're going back to like Rock and the Funk Party, the whole idea of that band is to be in one room and play together. And that's yeah. what you hear. Mm -hmm. When you hear those records, they were done, no quantizing, no barely any editing, uh, all the live, uh, you know, all the rhythm section was recorded live together. Uh, sometime with a click, sometime without a click. Um, and, and I always feel that when you do that kind of stuff, it lasts way longer. Like if you listen to it 20 years from now, you will still be able to relate to it mm -hmm. because there is actual conversations that are going on there. You know, mm -hmm. there is actually, it's, it's, there is always something you can see, and it happens naturally. We're not thinking about it, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like when we play, and if somebody is soloing, and and it's also you need to know when to go with them and when not to go with them because it also depends on the player. You know, it's it's very easy if somebody does a phrase and you say, "Oh, he's doing a phrase. I'm going to catch that phrase and go with him on that phrase." But then he can look at you and say, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> You know, keep the beat. I'm gonna go there. You just <laughs> <laughs> that, that I used to get yelled at for that a lot. Yeah, me too. There was, there was a great guitar player that I played with, and I, he would oh, every time he would do something, I'd be like, "Ooh!" and I would jump on that, and he yeah. would be like, "Stop chasing me! Stop!" And he's like, "Just stay there," and I was like, "Okay." No, because sometimes it's fun to do. It's like, <laughs> yeah. and you're showing them, "Hey, man, I'm with you. I'm listening to you." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just got me in trouble a lot. <laughs> me too, it's okay. But you live and learn. You do, you do. <laughs> so if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store, you can see what they have there. You can drive to another store, you can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their sq2 drum configurator 
And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff, and you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator the interesting thing about about not playing with people is it's it's actually like decreased my motivation to practice too because what like i i want to practice because i want to go play with people not because i want to like put a video up or or shed in my basement. So it, for me, if there's like, if there's no end or, or if there's no like bandstand that this is going to show up on, I like, I lose motivation. Well, I can tell you how you fix it. How's that? First of all, you want to be when the gigs happen and they will happen for sure. You want to be ready to go from zero to 16, two seconds. Yeah. You want to be in full, you know, fully blown mode where you are like old, fucking yeah, ready to roll. Whatever without thinking. Yeah. You don't want to say, hey, guys, well, give me a couple of weeks to rehearse. So, and that's going to happen for sure. Yeah. There is no doubt in my mind. And when it's happening, which is probably going to be in the next few months, it's going to be a lot of work because yeah. people want to go out and party and next thing you know it's a band you know mm -hmm. unless they're like a dj but then they're gonna be right it's gonna be a you know bands and then uh and you want to be in that i mean so it's it's but it's something you it's between you and you because i i know when the corona started i made a note to myself that i'm going to practice every day no matter what for at least two to four hours wow and I did not break it since. Really? I've been practicing every day, no matter what. I don't care what's going on because, you know, I, uh, I, I go to my drums, I close my eyes, and I play. And then I say, oh, this is something cool. I'm going to work on that. I'm working on it. Or this is a nice exercise. I'm working on it. But whatever I do, I make sure that I do it, and then as a, to give myself a little dessert, I put Spotify with like a, whatever a playlist, like my weekly suggestions or whatever, mm -hmm. and I play with it and I'm happy like I was a kid, you know, playing nice. with the music. Nice. And and I think it's also good for the for for me at least. It's worked because it keeps me positive. Sure. And not because uh, I want to be in a place that I say, okay, there is another day passed when I'm in quarantine and I don't do anything. But I became better. Yeah. So it keeps me positive. And in order to maintain that, I decided it's almost a year now that every week I'm going to put a video out of me coming up with the track, which mm -hmm. I write the day before. Then I play it, record it, 
in one take, you know, so it's no, it's no editing. It's like live and put it out there once a week. Nice. But that also gives me something to look for. Yeah. And yeah. because this is the only place where I can keep myself visible in times where, you know, I'm not on tour, I'm not uh, playing in the clubs, I'm not, you know, in, uh, you know, I mean, I just played on this movie called Nobody that came mm -hmm. out. It's a pretty big movie. It was, yeah. you know, and I did this, all the track here in quarantine with like, you know, but that doesn't give me a feedback of an audience. Yeah. You know, <laughs> or I play on different records and people say, oh, great. It's like, okay, but what's, what's in it? Where is the, the feedback? But as musicians, you need feedback. If you play, you get feedback from the musicians you play with. Mm -hmm. uh, you play a live, I cannot tell you, you know, the energy is, uh, it's addictive. Yeah, uh, it is. Right. Do you, would you, are you, if you, if you could, if you had to choose between one or the other, would you rather play live or would you rather play, or, you know, live in front of an audience or with musicians in the studio? That's a tough call because I really, all my life I've done both. Mm -hmm. And I love both as a totally two different art forms. You know, the mm -hmm. stuff I would play in a studio is not the stuff I would play live and vice versa. Yeah. And it's a different energy, different experience. Um, obviously, when you're live and let's say you're on a tour that it's a big tour, uh, there is a lot of fun with it, but also a lot of work with it. Mm -hmm. When you do sessions... It's under a microscope, and it's a it's a it's a different thing. So, I would say the it's probably the equivalent of an actor that plays theater and an actor that does movies. Yep, it's a good analogy. You don't have uh, feedback so much. You're doing a take, another take, and who knows what's going to be there in the movie. Right. When you're actor, you have to do the whole thing at once, mm -hmm. like in a theater. Yeah. So it's a different. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a different animal, but I like it. I think I like them both. If I do my, too much of the one thing, I want the other one. And if I did, yeah, yeah, it's why not all? You know. Yep. No, that makes sense. How how long have you been in LA? I've been in LA. I moved to New York from Israel in '82, and I moved to LA when in '90 or '91 when I got a Billy Idol World Tour. Got you. And I moved me to LA. The reason why I ask is because now it's not as difficult, but then in the 80s, 90s, even the, even the 2000s, it was really hard to do both in LA, to be a session guy and a touring guy. They sort of, like you said, they like in the United States, they like to put people in a box and they would, they're like, oh, he's a session guy, he's a touring guy. And you need someone sessions, use this guy. And you need someone for touring, use this. How did you how did you do both? Was it a was it a constant fight to sort of say no 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 I do both I do both. Well, my more of my fight was, I think, when I got the Billy Idol gig and I moved here to LA, right away people say oh he's a rock drummer. Mm. Also because I had long hair, blah blah blah. Right. But you know, I've never done any drugs. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't All ride right. motorcycles. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't say I want, I'm not going to have a whiskey now and then, but that's about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> so 
it was, I had a tough time in the rock because I was, you know, I wasn't playing the game. I don't have to mm-hmm. lose. And, yeah. uh, and, and in the sessions, it's like, what the hell is God? This guy looks like a rocker. But right. um, I made it and I knew that that one is, is because I also had the experience from being in Israel. I already went through the whole thing once mm-hmm. that, okay, now I'm on a big gig, which is very visible. I got my endorsement, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wow, I'm on the top of the world, you know, playing mm-hmm. 100,000 people, rocking, you know, the whole, just like in the movies. Right. But I knew this thing ain't definitely not going to last. Mm-hmm. You cannot let it go to your head because I wasn't Billy Idol. I was just playing with him. Right. Do you know right. what I mean? So it's like, who gives a fuck? Who am I? I mean, you know, I mean, they come to see him. <laughs> am I right? Even though, you know, I, I thought I did my job good. Uh, so I started looking for sessions when I was in town. And mm-hmm. I was doing sessions that are totally different styles of what I was known for. So I got to do Shaka Khan, and then I did uh, 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 Joe Zawinul. Mm-hmm. And so when, when somebody said, hey, man, you're a rock drummer, I said, oh, yeah, but I'm playing on a number one R&B single, and here I am playing on a record with Joe Zawinul, so what are you going to say? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, How did you get those gigs? Just networking and meeting people? And- they heard about me because, I mean, um, I think I, uh, I'm i not very good at networking, I must admit. Mm-hmm. It's not my forte. It always feels I, like a little slimy to me anyway. I think I, I'd rather just go out and like meet people. and. I said, you know, if somebody loves my playing, they're going to call me. And mm-hmm. they, there is enough places to hear it. And I always deliver. So you, you know you're never gonna be disappointed, right? But, uh, like with Joe Zawinul, I remember that he heard about me, and I get a call from him, and he said, "Hey, Tal, uh, you know, uh, can you come to my house and I will? Uh, I have a track I want to try you on, and uh, if I like it, you know, you we will do it." So I tell him. Yeah, I will come, but you still have to pay me double scale. (laughs) (laughs) And and he was like, "Uh, okay. And he liked it. But I can tell you, honestly, I didn't sleep for three nights before I came to do that session because I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, it's like one of my idols and I'm like, I been to shred and I'm playing all my stuff, like all my things <laughs> and, and all that stuff. I'm done. And then I came to him and I started playing and he's just me and him. He says, wait, 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 wait. I don't want to hear any of that Nam show playing. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what do you mean? I got it all worked out. It's already, it's all ready to go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And then he left me in the room. He says, well, you're from Israel. I said, yeah. He says, okay, I want to hear the desert. I want you to play. Here is the track. I want you to play. <clears throat> Make it sound the same, but never play the same. And, and don't always play one and three and two and four. And he left the room. And he hung me with this track that 
unless you know where one is from the beginning, there is no way you're going to know. But it is in 4-4. Four, four. But that guy just improvised everything for like, I don't know, three minutes, four minutes. That is ridiculous. But you can invent your own downbeat anywhere you want, really, <laughs> unless you know where it is from the beginning. He left me there, and I was like, and I say, what am I going to do? And I say, okay, you know, desert. It has to be dry. You know, so no symbols. Yeah. Just hi-hat, kick, maybe rim, this, like the sounds that are more that. And then I came up with a pattern that was repetitive, but it was not repetitive. Mm-hmm. It just played all the way through, almost like a sequence that always changes, but you don't mm-hmm. notice that it's changing. Like a soundscape almost. Kind yeah, of. you know, but like yeah. really, it's a lot of hi-hat work because it doesn't interfere. And, and the bass drum comes in different places, like improvising it but mm. within a certain thing. And he came back and he loved it, you know? Nice. So, you know, so you do that, but then you're going back to your question. It's like, I always try to play different styles and be noticeable playing different styles because I love different styles. Right. And I, I, I personally grew up with, you know, like listening to all the great drummers, but let's say like Harvey Mason, Steve Gall, all these guys that are all around drummers that can play anything. Yeah. I mean, you listen to Steve Gall playing behind uh, Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can tell it's him because I know these, but he plays only what's needed. You're never going to hear the guy do some crazy feel. Yeah. You yeah. know? So to me, that's the, you know, what I aspired to be. It was an all-around player, mm-hmm. you know, and I still do try to aspire to that. Never. Yeah. Uh, me too. Yeah. I had a conversation with someone the other day about learning. It goes back to what you and I talked about earlier too, about, you know, learning all the styles and should you be, should you learn all the styles and be well-rounded or should you focus on one thing? And they were sort of, they were saying, you know, I like jazz, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to play jazz and I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours learning it. I just want to enjoy it and listen to it. And I said, well, then just, I think you should do that. Just, and, and if you don't, you know, if you don't like heavy metal, you don't have to learn how to play heavy metal if you never want to play it anyway, and you don't want to get hired to play it. So it's like, play the, play the things that you love to play, but then also put out into the world, you playing those types of, styles that you want to play yeah like you like you did where you're saying look i want to get more of these kinds of sessions so i'll put that stuff out there like i see and i've said this on the podcast i'm sure that people are tired of hearing it but i'm like you say that you want the john mayer gig or you want the the whoever gig and then every video of you is playing 30 second notes around i'm like that's not yeah you're not gonna call you they're not gonna call you right you may be you may actually even be able to play the stuff that that you know you might be the perfect drummer for john but if you're not putting that out there into the world no one's going to even consider hiring you yeah. i mean day. if you look at i forget the name of but the drummer that he has now he's a very musical, he's a very musical drummer yeah you know and, and he does a, he plays what needs to be played mm-hmm. you know and when he had steve jordan he has steve jordan yeah I mean, yeah, how can you go wrong? I mean, you know, obviously he's using drummers that are well rounded and can play yeah. different styles, 
but mm-hmm. they also play what's good for him, making him look good, and he can trust that. Yeah. I mean, he's always had great – he had Nier on his first record. There you uh, go. Yeah. Oh, Steve, good taste. Uh, Steve, yes, the best. Yeah, I mean, Nier is uh, – you know, he has so much experience knowing what not to play and to mm-hmm. play the, the right stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when yeah. you call him for a record, you're going to know that you have a very solid ground to do a record. He's not going to go there and play some stuff that makes him look good, but it's yeah. not good for the music. Mm-hmm. Why do you think he's working? Because he's good. He's good at what he do. And being good is not just being good for yourself. Oh, look at me. I can play all this stuff. But it's, again, you're what, you know, when you're doing, a, let's say, a record, you know, somebody spends a lot of money on a record. They're not going to get a drummer. <laughs> they might ruin it for them. Right. Right? That's, yeah. that's a lot of money. Yeah. Hey, call that one drummer that always fucks everything up and plays too many notes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> why do you think it's the same drummers doing the same thing for all these years? Exactly. Look at John Robinson, you know? Yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, yeah. people like that because they deliver the goods. Yeah. I mean, it's simple. We know these things as drummers, but I think it's difficult to actually do them. I think it's hard to play less notes. I think it's hard to not serve our, the our ego and serve the music instead. I think it's, you know, I think it's hard to like spend the time to really develop that, that touch and feel and sort of that elasticity in your playing that it, it, it kind of just flows naturally. Yeah. It just takes time. I mean, we were, we we were young. I know when I was young, I was playing a lot of notes. Yeah. You know, I will still play a lot of notes if I can. Many, many situations <laughs> just for fun. Yeah. Or, you know, or, you know, I always say, don't put me next to a drum set. Even when I do a sound check, I'm like, okay, I'm staying away. With it. I'm going to bother everybody and they're going to yeah. hate me. Yeah. Yeah. If, if a lot of notes, you know, made money, I'd be all about it. No, I'd, I'd be, be playing a as many notes as possible. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, uh, but then again, you know, you've got drummers now that have, you know, that they will do stuff again, uh, that it's all about that. And they're mm-hmm. making a living doing that. Yeah. So, you know, I don't condone it if this is what you said to do. Right. I'm like, okay, I'm going to open my channel and I'm going to use uh, whatever social media that's out there to just do that and try to get young audience, which probably young audience will go more for for flash than uh, groove. I mean, if I play a straight groove for a minute, I wonder how many views I'm going to get. Right. I mean, seriously. So yeah. even when I do stuff for my videos, I always throw there some just twinkles of stuff to keep people interested because sure. they're watching that. You can, mm-hmm. you know, so this is the medium. You know, I can I can throw some gospel chop. You know, yeah. do I want to do it? Maybe sometime. I don't know. I don't think about it. It's becoming part of my vocabulary too because it's something there. Not that I use it in a, you know, if I play middle of the road record, you're not going to hear that. Yeah. Or like even yeah. like Rock Candy, Fire Party, those records that are very reminiscent of the 70s. So let's say going back to that, the Octopussy, I, the drum sound of that record, as they were as dead as possible. You know, mm-hmm. I took all the heads out of the, you know, the the toms, just kept, you know, like like concert toms. Yep. Same with the bass drum, deaden it all the way to get as dry 
sound is possible, but also when I have that kind of a sound, sound makes you play. Mm-hmm. You play that way. You cannot play fast stuff because you have no bounce. Yeah. It sounds like shit. You know, yep. you have to play very assertive and and everything needs to be really uh, like hooky and funky. But mm-hmm. if you're going for that sound, you know, because I, I was going for like that, like almost the disco sound, you know, yeah, which I love. Yeah, I, lo- I love that sound. Me too. You know, uh, so you know, you know, like and the later records, I used two different drum sets. I had a bebop kit and a and a regular meat and potato kit, which is one. Mm-hmm. And they're all yeah. sonar, by the way, because I, yeah. to, I have to say that. <laughs> You know, I've been with them since '91, and I can't. Wow! You know, they're, they're, the la- I I was uh, I guess I, when I was talking to Nir, I, I told him too. The last record, I the last solo record that I did, uh, I recorded on a on an old like old sonar kit that was piecemealed together in the studio, and it sounded amazing. Same deal, no no front head on the bass drum. You know, concert toms, the whole nine. Yeah. Yeah, on my bass from here now. I'm using actually. I've been using lately a uh, 421 inside the bass drum. Really? Yeah, like this. What I have on the toms, mm-hmm. I put one inside the bass drum, and it sounds amazing. Like inside, not laying on a laying on a blanket or, or uh, just yeah. In, in usually I lay it on a blanket, but because I had an extra stand, I actually put it on a stand inside. There you go. But you put <laughs> it on a blanket, you know. Uh, and, and and I get this killer because it gets more of the mid range mm. of the drum, mm. you know. So, you know, uh, which is very I would say like disco-y, but I love it. But then I, you know, I put other mics on the front head, so I can get more of the front head if I need to, you know. And I mix them both, so I get more of a full bass drum sound and uh, you know whatever tricks. Mm-hmm. But I personally always like stuff, you know, that it's really cuts through in the music, but also you can mix it in different ways where it works for the song. So I right. would say, I mean, like I, I'll have, I don't know how many snare drums, but I end up always using the same ones. Right, right. You know? But you're like, oh, I should have this one just in case. <laughs> Uh, sometimes you know, say, well, well, I'm too lazy to change this now. This sounds good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the, you know, probably a whole nother, uh, a whole nother episode that we would have to talk about this, but it's now as a drummer, you not only have to learn how to be a drummer, but then you also have to learn how to be a recording engineer too. For sure. It's like a whole, now it's, you know, years ago, you didn't have to do that. Now you got to, if you want to do sessions, you got to learn how to record yourself. Well, it's not a brain surgery because you know how you want the stuff to sound. So you yeah. have a good starting point. Yeah. It's brain surgery for me. I'm horrible at, at audio. There is no, if just listen, don't worry yeah. about the knobs. If it sounds good, yeah. twist it until it. it sounds good to you and you're fine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Twist until it sounds good. That's all you need to know. It's like my buddy's dad always, he's an electrician. He goes, electricity's easy. He's red to red, black to black, tie the rest. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, a little compression. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, you, can, you know, if you, I mean, I've been doing it for years and I've been producing and I've been mixing. Right. I, I, you know, I, I, and I'm sure if engineers were like proper engineers, sometimes we'll say, we'll see what I do. They want to kill me. But it sounds good. 
That's so, all that matters. Hey, you know, who's to say? Yep. You know, it's either yep. you do or you don't do. You know, talk is cheap. You better do. Mm-hmm. And I then, like that. You know, and then stuff happens. Do yep. and commit. Commit. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, of things sounding good and it doesn't matter as long as it sounds good, we were talking about Aaron Sterling. And I don't want to miss – I don't want to say this wrong, but I remember reading somewhere – or listening somewhere or something that he was using like a three or four hundred dollar JC Penny kit on on the job mayor tour. Like some kit that some guy bought in some JC Penny catalog for like their kid or something. And somehow Aaron Sterling ended up with it and now and then he was using it to play with John. Well it's how so you like, play, really. And he's like, and it sounds great. So well, you put the like mic on everything sounds good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, but it is it, it is how you play. I, I've played on drum kits from like like I, I remember I produced a long time ago this record. It was some for some guy in Israel and it was all kind of machines, like you know, they had no budgets. Mm-hmm. And I was in the mix and that thing sounded just so two-dimensional. And I saw the engineer had his son's drum set, which is like the bass drum is probably 10 inch. I don't know. It was like like really <laughs> kids, kids stuff. Right. I say, set it up here. I went in each song. I played kicks there and have with the shittiest thing sitting on. I don't remember what I was even sitting on because, you know, probably laying down playing it. <laughs> yeah. But it worked. It's amazing. It worked because, you know, you have moving air. Something mm-hmm. is there that's, that, uh, again, is natural. So that makes everything suddenly makes more, you know, swings more. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It never ends, really. I know. I know it. Wow. Well, fortunately for you, uh, this conversation will end so I don't take up the re- your whole entire day talking That's to okay. you. Uh, but Tao, I really I appreciate you being part of the podcast. I'm so glad that that I found the mu- like all this music that you created and then I just started going down into your your discography and everything. So this has been like you said, it never ends. So now it's like I'm just in the beginning. I'm just starting. I love it. I love it. Thank where's you the best so, place? so much, really. Of course. My pleasure. My pleasure. Where's the, uh, where's the best place for people to go to, to keep track of what you're doing? And I know that you said you were posting videos every week and all that. Where's the best place to go? Uh, my YouTube channel. Okay. Which I don't remember the name. I'll, I'll, link, it. I'll link up to it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, the, the, there is a thing that calls, uh, uh, I think, Tal's Playtime or something like that. <laughs> where, okay. Where I put all those videos, and then on my Facebook and Instagram, and then uh, my website, which probably has links to all of them. Okay. Perfect. I'll link, like I said, I'll link up to it in the show notes. And again, thank you so much, man. It's, thank it's you. a pleasure to meet you. I'm, I'm glad to have well, you on the podcast. We see each other in uh, for real soon. I hope, I hope so. Yeah, I gotta, I, man. You're in the, you're in like the mecca of drummers. Like, there's so many drummers that live in your, in your neck of the woods. We like sure. the good weather. Yeah, that's it. So, <laughs> awesome, man. Tal, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. 
There you have it, the one and only Tal Bergman. And you can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 615. I link up to all his profiles, all his social media profiles, and also his YouTube channel where he's posting a new video every week, which I highly recommend you check out. Again, the show notes, drummersresource.com forward slash session 615. Also, check out Rock Candy Funk Party. You will not be disappointed, I promise you. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.